Um, and by the time she finished working on it at the Fillmore studio when she had to move out, it weighed over a ton. So then what happened was she got evicted, <laughs> like any good artist. So there's the painting laying on the floor uh, the day that they're trying to move it out of the studio. So you can imagine at this point that that was not an easy, there, there probably was no easy path. They actually had to cut away all the drywall window there, cut a huge hole in the apartment. I don't know who, I mean the owner's evicting them, right? And by the way, I'm going to cut the entire wall out. Uh, the, bay, the entire bay window had to be dismantled and it was taken out on a, a forklift uh, out there. There's something about, uh, for, for me, again, the, the kind of tragic uh, <laughs> nature of this painting and, and its, pro its commitment to process, right? Um, and ultimately, it, it lives as um, the centerpiece of her entire, uh, uh, this is the, uh, the painting in its restored form several years ago uh, before it went to its final resting place in the uh, Whitney Museum. The San Francisco Museum of Modern Art raised something like $300,000. Because uh, it went to a San Francisco Art Institute and just hung on the wall in, in a boardroom. They managed to bolt it to the wall because it, it was the only way they could sort of put it there at that weight. And it just hung there, you know, during art history lectures like this. So you turn around, like the, the rows would be on the wall behind you. You turn around and watch the art history slides on the other wall. And you put out cigarettes on the thing or whatever. Um, this painting, it was eight, eight years of her life. It, um, after it moved out of the, uh, I skipped this part, after it moved out of the uh, apartment, I mean, down to the Pasadena Museum, it's actually here at the Pasadena Museum of uh, California Art, it was uh, in a uh, storage area here for a while, and she would show up every day and work on it a little bit uh, to continue that, this sort of journey of this particular painting. Right? Um, she's actually a marvelous artist. If you're not familiar with her work, um, it's not only this painting that's interesting, but really all of them. Um, but her journey into the, the, uh, this kind of sculptural mass of this painting and its multiple iterations of, of finish and beam, again, is another, um, for me, a, a wonderful metaphor as an artist for um, how that kind of epiphanic process works. Um, she was, in a sense, trying to intuit, right, intuited something with a center and tried to discover this painting um, in the process of making it. And of course, it became sort of quixotic in the end and, and bizarre in, its, in that, uh, the scale, right, and the commitment to it, the length of time, the weight, all of those things become sort of fantastic in the end, uh, beyond belief. Uh, and yet the painting uh, holds this strange kind of austerity, right, as though it were uh, a kind of, they describe, rightfully so, as the, Restoration of it is something like an excavation. <laughs> they pulled all this wax off so you could preserve it. So you got stuck behind the wall at some point. It's just there for ages. And so it's ultimately not even the work, the painting itself, and I've seen it, it's, it's, it's a very exciting uh, painting, but um, the journey right, of the work, that performance of the search, uh, and an uncompromising search for the right iteration of which I think we can pull, you know, uh, does pull together for me, Tanner and, and uh, DeFeo in a weird way, right? I think
And, and for Tanner, it was this dogged, persistent uh, uh, desire to visualize this subject, right? Mary, the child, the wise man, against all odds, in a sense, uh, against, in a context that, that didn't, didn't suggest it, sometimes resisted it. And for DeFeo, then, the, the, you know, the desire to continue to work on this painting. They wanted her to, at one point, there was a, a significant art show that, that was being put on. It was uh, Jasper John's fame was first made in this show, and they wanted this painting for her. She gave him some other stuff because she had to keep working on it. Tragic. Um, and so in a sense, it serves as a kind of microcosm and metaphor for, for the journey of uh, discovery that is open-ended right, for all of us. And you know, you think about uh, uh, Hebrews, um, if we overlay Hebrews onto the, you know, uh, the, uh, onto our Matthew narratives here as well, the book of Hebrews, where it talks about us being, again, we are strangers, right? We're foreigners like the wise men, traveling through this land. And of course, our journey um, as followers of Christ um, is one that will not reach conclusion uh, in this life. Um, they, theirs reached uh, that momentary conclusion. Of course, there's quite a bit of drama after that. Um, but ours will not. In many ways, uh, as I have taught art and painting, particularly over the years, I've really tried to help my students and myself understand um, that that um, is in fact one of the wonderful gifts that, that painting and art making has to give to us, right? Is an understanding of that search without end, right? And that in fact the search is hard and joyful right, at the same time. By the way, she didn't make, she stopped painting for four years after she finish this thing, probably the, getting the lead, I think the lead paint, the amount of lead paint that's in this probably wasn't very good for her. Uh, then after all that, after four years, she made this. <laughs> so, you know, on to the next thing. And, uh, so it went. I thought I would um, just offer here, it's uh, a few minutes, and uh, just offer a, a, a short meditation from another contrast in Matthew. And um, maybe we can end with that. If um, maybe it would be fun, I'll show you a few of my paintings uh, here. And I've uh, been working on a, a group of paintings for the last few years, um, which uh, have to deal with uh, sort of enjoying everydayness, uh, the, the situations in my own environment, my own world. That um, provides spaces for understanding, for revelation that are that are entirely uh, found, not planned. Um, I make these paintings from my uh, drawings, uh, and I do the drawings without much plan for how they're going to fit to the painting necessarily. And as I uh, produce these paintings, I uh, am very much approaching them with a, with a sense of open-ended discovery about whatever themes might want to manifest themselves there. 
Um, I call these the day paintings, which is a misnomer because they take like a year. <laughs> but each of them has day in the title. So this is Trash Day Recital. This is really just Trash Day. This is Independence Day. Uh, this is a study for that painting or a drawing I did in the junkyard. Again, the least likely of places. This is uh, Labor Day, which again is a sort of mis oxymoron, right? Because you get the day off. And, and, uh, this is uh, Birthday. At some point I'll come back maybe and just talk to you about these. That'd be nice. Um, and this is Park Day. Well, so maybe I'll leave that up while I close this with a meditation. My art history students know that my art history lectures always end up being sermons. And then when they ask me to give sermons in my other church, they always end up being art history lectures. <laughs> so this is probably the perfect environment for me right here. Um, so I said Matthew loves a good contrast. He would have been a good painter if he wasn't a tax collector. <laughs> the, uh, And already in, the, uh, in, in Matthew 2, we have the uh, extraordinary contrast between the magi who come for the purposes of worship, bringing you know, expensive gifts to bestow on this new king, and Herod, of course, right, who expediently murders a whole bunch of children to try to kill Jesus. Um, so the, the kind of, of waste of human life, uh, the devaluing of everything that's uh, in Herod's heart is met with its exact opposite in those foreigners who come to worship. Right? So there you have worship as opposed to violence, which is a, the greatest contrast. Right? Um, and uh, you have the same contrast that emerges here in Matthew 26, but in a context that deals, where the, the Magi, again, is a, is a moment, uh, the gifts of the Magi are a moment of blessing Christ with things, objects of great value and beauty. Right? For an artist, that warms the cockles of your heart. You know? so that's, that's all I make, is objects. Of, I wish they were of greater value, and certainly they're, they're at least some beauty. You know? um, In Matthew 26, let's read here. When Jesus had finished saying all this, he told his disciples, you know that the Passover takes place after two days and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and they conspired to arrest Jesus in a treacherous way and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so that there won't be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon, and this is a marvelous contrast, a man uh, who had a skin disease, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. Then the, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste? question we might ask about DeFeo's eight years on that painting. 
Why this waste? They asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. But, then, but Jesus, aware of this, <laughs> said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she has prepared me for burial. I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. And Matthew drops right back into the opposite. Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand his life over to you? So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him, and from that time he started looking for a way, for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So the, again, the cheapness with which the life of Jesus is sold, in contrast to the, the preciousness of the object given. Um, is. Uh, the most intensive contrast, and is, uh, for me as an artist, have always been a deeply meaningful set of oppositions, right? Um, both the anointing of Christ for burial, and, right, because in a sense, he's given the same thing, <laughs> right? They're both costly nards, right? Perfumes, oils, things that are um, appropriate gifts for a king, anointings for burial, acts of worship which oppose, again, the expedience and violence of both Herod and those who plot to kill, kill Christ. And probably that's a fine place to end, I'll leave it. Thank you. Uh, so we thought we would just do a quick time for any questions that folks might have. Um, and I, if I could, just kind of offer the first one. Um, I was kind of wondering, as you were talking about the, um, you kept on talking about the need to see the original um, and not merely the reproduction. Yeah. And I, I wonder if you could just quickly talk about how, uh, what that actually offers, what that engagement could actually offer somebody in your experience. Yeah, so at the beginning of every year, So here we are in the, you know, a house of worship, and we 
out there for you guys. Uh, feel free to join us out on, in the pavilion and uh, thank you all so much for coming.